true story. When I stood face to face with my first giant Kutsnawu brown bear, I mean, we're talking over one and a half thousand pounds of, of carnivorous, don't argue. I'm not saying I was scared, but I actually heard my penis gasp. That's what we're talking about today. The Fear Island Fortress of the Bears expedition that became the documentary on Animal Planet for Monsters Week. And we're going to be joined by some of the key collaborators who made this heroic adventure possible. It's going to be a lot of fun. First, a little bit of housekeeping. You are listening to Semi-Indestructible, courtesy of the Wild Times podcast, sponsored by Adventure Beast, the animated wildlife comedy series now streaming on Netflix worldwide. First thing, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, I don't know why I didn't think of this, struggling through our first episode uh, which was amazing. If you haven't listened to Rotep's story of how his life turned around after an extraordinary night where he crashed his mother's car while doing a drug deal, you should go back and listen to episode one. Uh, but what I didn't realize is that there'd be lots of comments and questions and assertions, and I would have to address them or at least have the option to. So I will. From now on, on whatever platform you're watching or listening, I'm going to go through comments and questions and pick out a couple to respond to. So some were funny. Uh, there's this kind of aura I know that we perpetuate in the Wild Times podcast as the professional that I'm some sort of indestructible machine. I'm obviously not. I've had 21 surgeries and eight treatments for rabies, and I'm sitting to you now. My spine is jacked up with uh, painkillers after crushing three discs in a stupid fall in the garage. So I'm always in enjoy it when someone humbles me. Someone asks, what is the most humiliating animal attack I've ever experienced? And that's easy. I uh, had an almost fatal anaphylactic reaction to mites on a guinea pig. And it turns out, I went to an allergist, it turns out that I have a, a very strong allergy to certain types of rodent mites. Not all of them, but some of them. But I mean, we're talking eyes shut, throat closing in the ER, getting pumped full of uh, antihistamine and steroids. So that's got to be, you know, I mean, this thing is basically a fairy testicle with teeth, but it almost brought all 300 pounds me down. So that was pretty humiliating. Uh, another person asked, have I ever wet my pants because I was scared in the field? I have. When I was uh, at junior, I think it was called junior camp or teen camp. I think I was like 11 uh i'm actually i was afraid of heights that's something i've dealt with all my life so it's pretty tough for me to become a paratrooper i had to work through that fear um and now i can approach it very clinically and do all sorts of crazy things but back then it was a really big deal for me to abseil off a cliff and i didn't know that i had wet my pants but i got to the bottom and some girl very kindly pointed it out the top of her voice um so that's uh that's a, that's a true story and i think there have been many instances where, but for personal discipline and lack of hydration, uh, a drop of salty golden nectar would have made its way out of my urethra. Um, so, you know, I get scared all the time. You can't be brave unless you are scared. That doesn't work that way. If, you, if, you, if you're not scared of anything, you're just insane. And uh, that's not only a productive attitude. As we say in the paratroopers, once you lose your fear of falling, you die. So, being a little bit scared is is part of the fun. Um, I noticed there was a lot of reaction to uh, a comment I made about sexual diversity in nature. And I said that, um, logically speaking, uh, because there are so few species, I meant to say species, uh, there, there are so few species that are exclusively straight in nature, animal species, that to be exclusively straight, logically speaking, is the new queer. Obviously, it's tongue-in-cheek, but I'm, I'm making a valid point. So not about individuals. Obviously, individuals can be exclusively straight or exclusively gay. They can be exclusively whatever the hell they want. Um, I was talking about species. The only species in nature that doesn't that don't display a homosexual tendencies or gay or queer tendencies are species that don't have sex at all, at all. So they reproduce via pathogenesis or, I mean, there's lots of, there's lots of, you know, male female interactions that are anything but straight. For example, barnacles, which as you probably know, have the longest penis relative to size. They do a thing called sperm casting. It's just basically masturbating into a hurricane and hoping for the best, but it, it, it works. The point is, nature is strange, and we're part of it, and we should love it. So I'm cool with all those questions and comments. I don't mind being corrected. I could give a shit. I know who I am, and I know what I know. But I love it when smart people 
uh, when my bushmasters come in and tell me things uh, and correct me, I'm I'm fine with it. But don't don't come at me with any homophobic bullshit. This is not that space, okay? Because the central tenet of this show is celebrating biodiversity. And if you can't apply that same template to human beings and celebrate people for who they are and who they tell you they are, then you're really not on my team. But to be on my team, it's super easy. You just got to love adventure. You got to not mind getting hurt. And you got to be prepared to learn from people who have gone before you. And that's what it's all about. If you want to piss me off, I have my own form of, of knowledge bigotry. Be the person who calls a vinegar and a scorpion to my face. Conversely, if you don't know what it is and you say, is that a scorpion? I will love you forever. Ask the question. Challenge what is known. Challenge the experts. Challenge me. Bring it on. We'll have a lot of fun. Uh, I hope you enjoyed episode one. I know I did. Uh, episode two is a corker, as we say in the Antipodes. Um, it was my real debut in television in terms of a wildlife documentary. I'd already been doing uh, guest appearances on late night television with Chelsea Handler on uh, Chelsea Lately as the wildlife expert in residence, and then uh, with Craig Ferguson on the Late Late Show. And it was a hell of a lot of fun. And uh, it's funny how I got the gig on Chelsea Lately. It's Hollywood, so it's all very strange and dysfunctional. Uh, but Chelsea Handler was dating this hunky Canadian wildlife expert. No need to mention any names. Apparently a lovely guy. She broke up, hated his guts, and didn't want to work with him anymore. At the same time, she got uh, stage one, Conan O'Brien's uh, late night show stage from, on the NBC Universal lot. So this magnificent stage. And uh, Siobhan Shonda, her, her chief booker, wanted someone, and I quote, had more knowledge, more credibility in the wildlife and wildlife conservation space, but also someone that Chelsea Handler did not want to have sex with. Thank you very much. Anyway, I was grateful for that opportunity. And because of that, I started getting invitations to pitch other projects. And this, this was my dream project. Hey guys, if you're enjoying, whoops. Guys, if you like The Wild Times, check us out on Patreon. We put out four extra podcasts per month. That's one commute a week that you're just going to be laughing and learning the whole time in the car. <laughs> hey, let me do, do something else. This is the late night content, the stuff that we, we can't show on, on YouTube because they'll kick us off YouTube. It's the Cinemax of podcasts. <laughs> Uncensored, raw dog. It's the Cinemax of podcasts. Check it out. Link right here. And so today I want to bring in one of the people, well, the showrunner, the guy who really made it possible. You know him from the Wild Type podcast as the producer. I know him as DeLuca, and uh, he's our special guest today. Ladies and gentlemen, and everybody, they, them, welcome. This is DeLuca. This is DeLuca in my, my garage, sweating. <laughs> it's so and goddamn hot in here. It's, there's no fucking AC. I can't believe, first of all, anything that causes you suffering pleases me. That's just that's just a fact. Yeah, understood. Um, I can't believe, what is it now, three years later, four years later, we haven't done a recap like this of, of our documentary. Uh, I think it might be like four or five, yeah. Jesus. I think four years. I'll tell you, because I remember I was actually, I sat, I was sitting with Forrest and the crew. Uh, we watched the premiere. We were... Uh, we had finished filming for the day. We were staying at a hotel in Louisiana uh, looking for the uh, ivory billed woodpecker mm. when uh, your bear documentary premiered on TV. And we sat there and drank beers and watched it for two hours. Nice. Fear I, I, Island. Fortress of the bears. Well, once, yeah, and I apologize, my weird. I, I am sick as roadkill. So if I'm just hacking and Fleming, just assume that I'm having a good time. Um but yeah, we haven't recapped. It's got to be more than four years. I have a four-year-old daughter I didn't have when we did the show. So I think yeah. it's got to be five years. And uh, so, yeah, it's, so let me bring the audience up to speed. I, as most people know, I'm from the unta untamed island of Tasmania. I transplanted to America by accident. I was consulting for Disney on theme parks and roller coasters and stuff that you do when you're a former paratrooper, cosmonaut, whatever, and fell in love found the woman who's now my beautiful wife and the mother of our two children. Okay. But I hated Los Angeles. I hated it. 
you know, from a, a for a Tasmanian mountain man to be with twenty something million people all breathing my air, this giant uh, overcrowded smog bubble of snotty vegans, I, I couldn't do it. And when she would fly out to, she she was building hotels and resorts. When she would fly out to Paris, Hong Kong, wherever to do these things, I was so miserable. And so I said, how do I find something here that I can't do anywhere else in the world? And I'd always wanted to study giant bears close up. So I picked a place that very few people knew about, that had a culture I knew nothing about, and bought a plane ticket. And it was amazing and terrifying. And for the first year, when I was going back and forth there during the bear season, which is basically late spring to uh, early autumn, no one would speak to me, this filthy outsider. I mean, I don't have a particularly trustworthy... I don't want to... You don't want to punch me in the face the same way you do with Retep, partly right. because I'm two and a half Reteps, but also you just... I'm not super punchable, but I'm very easy to, to despise. I have a despicable vibe. Yes, I will agree. And I will say also, like, most people, when you think like, oh, I want to go see a bunch of giant bears, they're going to go... There's just one thing comes to mind, Kodiak. I'm going to go to Kodiak right. Island off the coast of Alaska. How did you come to pick Admiralty you know, instead of Kodiak, which everyone knows for bears. Uh, well, first of all, you pronounce Admiralty the way I would expect an artificial intelligence robot to pronounce I only it. spent a month there, so yeah. <laughs> so we're going to use indigenous names if we can. Uh, it goes by many names. Admiralty was certainly first applied by the Russians. People forget that. It was the Russians that got there first. It was the Promyshleniki, the Siberian fur trappers that came over on their orders to gather the pelts primarily of sea otters. Anyway... Admiralty Baranov Chichagov, the ABCs, the, the, the Alexander Archipelago. The reason I chose that is you basically have what we call the four Ks, right? The giant bears. You've got Kodiak, uh, uh, Katmai, and uh, and and Kutsnuu, and uh, what's the other one? Um, not, oh, oh, and Kamchatka on the other. So that's the big C. So from mm -hmm. Russia around to uh, the panhandle of Alaska, that's where all the biggest bears are. And then above that, you have polar bears. Um, and they're all related. And they all came over the land bridge during the last ice age about 20,000 years ago, uh, or slightly before that. And then they became huge about 20,000 years ago. I chose Kutsnawu because there was a ton of stuff on Kodiak. It's been done to death. And it was yeah. always the same shots and the same with, 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 uh, with Kenai and Katmai. They're very close together. It's always, it's Brooks Falls this, it's Brooks Falls that. And I just really wanted to go somewhere that I hadn't been before. And I have to tell you, there's something just super cool about taking a seaplane. You know, yeah. whenever, you, whenever you get on a seaplane, it's a good time, right? I fuck it. I, I disagree, dude. It's funny because I there was never a moment, even in close proximity to very, very large bears, that was as scary as a couple of the seaplane rides. Was, they were horrific, horrific. <laughs> and I'll tell you, the I didn't have a pilot that was. Jesus, I didn't have a pilot that was probably a day over 24 yeah. years that's, old. That is that is a little bit disturbing. It gives the impression that pilots don't live very long. Um, but they don't, But it's the weather. It's the weather that, that, that takes the planes down, obviously. And, yeah, uh, and we know, flew through a lot of it. Yes, that is, a, that is a fact. I just, I don't know, whether it's in the tropics. Um, I was working on this um, abandoned iguana project in Fiji. I had to go to a lot of different islands. And as most of you know, uh, it's the only place in in uh, in Asia that has these iguanas. Um, iguanas are more about the Americas. Remember, the two big lizard groups, obviously, are uh, agamids and uh, iguanids. And, and so to have these just in the middle of nowhere, and there's all these theories that came over on vegetation rafts across the Pacific, it's all a bit fantastic. But I remember taking these seaplanes and just it just felt so good. And I feel like that in Alaska uh, when I go to these remote islands. It just feels like adventure to me. There are certain smells, you know, like gunpowder, racing fuel. There are certain things that get you pumped up. And and seaplanes do it for me. Every Interesting. Time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for people who can't picture. So I would say, first of all, how to, how to pronounce it? Admiralty? Kutsnuwu. Just Kutsnuwu. If, if you're looking it up. What you do is you fly into Juneau mm -hmm. and then you basically go into the basement of the Juneau airport and you buy a ticket for a seaplane. And it's like a, what, like a 50 minute flight. Yeah, depending uh, on the headwind, it's not that far. Um, but can't recommend no it highly enough. I oh. mean, it boating around this place. Yeah, no roads. With, 
thousands and yeah, no roads in the whole island, thousands and thousands and thousands of just inlets and little, you know, offshoot islands. And I mean, you don't see another boat the entire time. And mm. it is unbelievably breathtaking. It's stunning. It really it's as good as anywhere. I mean, oh my God, it's like going to Greenland. It looks completely different. Yes. But it's it's just like, oh my God, this is ends of the earth like feeling. Yeah, you can get there for like seven hundred bucks. It's not, yeah, it's not super expensive. It's not super difficult. The difficult part is when you get there, there's not a lot of places to stay. So you right. want to make those plans in advance. I have always stayed, uh, it's ending soon because they're retiring, but I have stayed with this Salvation Army couple that run a little uh hostel there with about what five rooms. What I was just gonna ask if if that's still there because it's such a <laughs> lovely way to to stay there. Eagles Wing Inn, free plug. Uh and it is a great place. They've renovated it a lot. They've added new furniture. Uh, the new lounge arrived just when we arrived for the shoot, and it was just very plush. And uh, before that, it was wooden boards with blankets on it. So it was just like one minute we're Lutherans, and the next minute we're, we're just living large. And uh, my and buttocks eating extremely well. <laughs> That's right. It's the only place where you can be walking all day in the cold and the rain and the sleet and the snow and somehow put on weight. Um, yeah. So I so I give you the backstory of how I chose it. I I, I wanted big bears. I'd read some tantalizing tidbits from a scientific paper about the connection between bears in this archipelago and the possible hybridization with polar bears from during the last ice age, because that area was what we call a giant refugia. It was this habitable temperate zone, mostly grasslands, that um, was sort of within these giant walls of ice. And so you had many gigantic species most of which are all gone apart from polar bears and muskox um that were in there with these bears and and so there was certain interbreeding and the theory that we were intrigued by is is it possible that these coastal brown bears and just for those who don't know a lot about bears you hear a lot of talk on american television about grizzlies Grizzly bear this, grizzly bear that. Everyone refers to any brownish bear as a grizzly. Even, even a black bear in cinnamon phase, people will call it grizzly. It's, it's kind of stupid. A grizzly is, by definition, for those of us in the biz, a grizzly is an interior brown bear. And it's plenty of bear. You know, it's several hundred pounds worth of bear. A coastal, Alaskan coastal brown bear is two to three and a half times the size of an interior brown bear and a grizzly. So when you want to impress me, you don't say grizzly, you say Alaskan coastal brown bear. And that's what we're talking about here, these giants. And as I said, you know, you get these giant bears in in, in Kamchatka. You also get a very big bear in, in southern uh, Russia and northern Japan, um, uh, Ursus actos lasiatus, otherwise known as black grizzly. And then you get these spots on the western coast, southern west, southwestern coast of Alaska, from Kodiak, Katmai, Kenai, Kutsnawu, where they're freaking huge. And that's what we're talking about. So I was excited by that, but it was the culture. It was the Klingit stories that got me pumped up. The fact that mm. the Klingit had believed that the bears were magical and half human and could change back and forth. And that there were all these stories of the man who married the bear and the woman who married the bear. And then there's the, the, the half bear, half man child that was born. And one of the great stories is the creation of mosquitoes. How mosquito a, a creation story of how mosquitoes came to exist in Alaska. If you haven't been to Alaska in summer, you want to appreciate. And I come from Australia, we have plenty of insects. The joke is that the mosquito is Alaska's state bird because these things are freaking massive, huge mosquitoes. And if you're sitting in a in a in a, in a, in a sort of a copse of woods near a water source, trying to whistle up a bear, so we put a leaf in our hand and we blow it. And it sounds like a, a young bear in distress and a big hungry male come looking for it you will get absolutely drilled by these mosquitoes. But the short version of the legend is there were these three brothers. They were hungry, and the big one decided to go hunting, and he didn't come back. And then the next brother goes out, and he doesn't come back. And finally, the third brother goes out, and he finds that a giant has killed his two brothers and eaten them, and he's fallen okay. asleep by his fire. So the brother takes the weapon, which is a club of this giant, and kills the giant. And he's so angry at him uh, for eating his brothers, he just destroys his corpse. But that's not enough. He's so angry that he throws the corpse into the fire. And then mm. he builds up the fire and he burns it to nothing until it becomes ash. And then he's so angry with him, he can't even stand the idea 
of of the ash being this contiguous uh, lump. And so he blows the ashes, the hot ashes into the air and they sting and and cut. And those ashes become the blood-sucking mosquitoes um, of of Kutztawa, right? Mm -hmm. Now, we won't have to pick through the different levels of the mythology and the teaching points of it. Suffice to say, the outsider might look at this and go, oh, it's a Bigfoot story. But it's distinctly not a Bigfoot story. It just says a giant. Mm -hmm. And when I got into this, a man-eating giant, and I married it with the stories of the mythical silver tip bears that live in the mountain, these huge bears, I just said, I've got to go and see this. So yeah. I did. And then I started taking photos, and I took some photos that were crazy. And I said, I think this is visual proof. We need DNA, but this is visual proof that some of these bears and uh, very possibly hybrid species, and not just brown bears and polar bears, but possibly from the giant American short-faced bear that went extinct just after yeah. the ice age. Because what happened right. is the ice melted, and these beautiful meadows got carved into mountains. The the plains evaporated, the grasslands evaporated. Now we have these giant, uh, you know, uh, subarctic arboreal forests. And that means no giant herbivores to eat, therefore no giant carnivores, and only the big omnivores could survive. And that's why we have omnivores like these giant brown bears. Yeah, because so, there's there's nothing for them to eat. There's no deer. There's well, there's a Sitka black-tailed deer. Yeah, there's the deer. Okay. Remember okay. the little ones running down on the coast? Oh, He's, oh yeah. And we found the jaw a partial jawbone of a deer. A jaw, and, we and found a teeth. Bear shit. And grandfather had was shitting out the teeth, so he'd eaten a head of one. I mean, we that's found right. we found the deer a part of it. People may not realize this. Um, so Usain Bolt can run at about, he's the fastest man that's ever lived, fastest human. He can run at about 27 miles an hour, 28 miles per hour, which is freakishly fast. And these bears can do, you know, 35. So they can run down anything. And, so and particularly in this soft, mushy surface, because what you have is all this deadfall and then the moss grows over it and then more deadfall branches and more moss. And it's like just walking in, in like a ball pit at Chuck E. Cheese, except that something huge is trying to kill you. And so the deer are coming through that, and they get stuck, and these bears just run them down. So, yeah, they do eat the deer. They eat the seals. They eat tons of fish. But there are definitely large parts of the year where they have nothing to eat but plants and vegetation and, of course, the, sea, the little bivalves or little bivalves in the coast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But relatively speaking it's an embarrassment of riches compared to an interior grizzly which is why they one of the reasons they get so big so long story short that was how we got together and i was not meant to be a host of the show i wanted to but i was i was too uh too, too british old, too not american yeah too yeah. american uh, i you know not pretty enough and so i was going to be the off-camera expert on the bears and the clinger and then we had not one but two hosts that had to pull out for various scheduling reasons and visa reasons. I was on my way in the advance party, which is just me um, and uh, my Klingit brother, um, Alvin Johnson, to set out the camera traps a couple of weeks before the crew arrived. I changed planes in Seattle. And the producer, Will, is waiting for me and tells me that the host can't come and I'm now it. So I didn't get the gig yeah. until I was on my last flight uh, to Alaska. And uh, the funny part about this, and this leads into a new arrive, Pat, is that, and I've been there, you know, been going there four or five years by then. We had the most unbelievably perfect weather. It was like a hallmark green card. It was just glassy seas and sunshine. Yep. You didn't have to wear layers of of, of warm clothing or, or or rain protection. And Will had a bad knee, and so he didn't want to get out of the boat. So we took him okay. to some of the camera locations and Alvin and I pointed out what was going to happen and where the big bears were and all the rest of it. And he, and he came back and he told me you were coming for another job and you, you can come to a recce for two days and then you got to go to someone's wedding and then you yep. get back and you've got two movies in production. So it's going to be hard to get you, but we're going to get him here. And I saw him on the phone calling you, telling you how it's paradise and it's going to be super easy. Yeah. And, then, and then you arrive and what did yep. you, and what did you find? I, there was not a single day where we were, were dry for one single second. It no. rained for literally 20 plus consecutive days without stopping. <laughs> it was fucking, but, but it was, it added to just the sort of mysterious feel of the entire place. Um, 
I, you know, cause you kind of just get used to it where you just go, I'm just going to be wet for 14 wet hours. And, and that's, that's how it is. Do you remember um, the first day when, and, and Alan and I took you down, uh, took you down, uh, to, I won't give the actual locations. Uh, um, but we took you to a place. Um, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And, and, uh, and it's not a short boat trip. And the seas were just massive. And and Will had yeah. just sold you a bill of goods and we all wanted to puke. Yeah, it was, that was actually probably the scariest. That's probably the most dangerous thing we did was probably yeah, going little, through little tin boat. That, that sort of weird, like little washing machine area that had been created where it was just the water was just sort of cycloning it's a, it's and a we had to get through it. It's a literal, and, it's a, the literal whirlpool. And if you, and everyone's so blase about it up there, but if you hit the middle, you just go under. You get sucked down into the void, like the Kraken, and then yeah. you've, you've got yeah. to hit it the way it's going and go around the outside. It sounds ridiculous, but it's true. I want to just quickly say something, and then I have a surprise for you. Really, nice. um, many of the Wild Times community, our bros, our sisters, you know, whatever they are, no. are super into traveling and adventure and taking photographs and and love hearing about this shit. I, I just would say, what is it called? The Eagle Nest Inn? Eagle's Wing Inn. Okay. If they're still, if they're still open and running and you've never been to Alaska, I cannot recommend highly enough. Get a ticket to Juneau. They'll get you to Admiralty or Admiralty. Kutsnawu. Uh, but but <laughs> someone fucking Googles Kutsnawu. They're not going to figure out how to book well, you know a flight to it. Ang- Angoon. A-N-G-O-O-N. Angoon is your destination. Yes. And and uh stay at the Eagles Wing. Alaska seaplanes will get you there. It's not super expensive. It is you could probably do that whole trip. You're gonna need to find, you know, someone to take you around on a boat um for a couple days and just go see all the shit. And to do that, just go to the general store, ask anybody running the general store. It's owned by Shane and Sue. But there are other people that work there. You go to the general store, the trading post, and there's only one store, so you can't miss it. And just say, hey, is someone available to take me around? And you've negotiated a reasonable price for yep. fuel. Fuel is expensive there, but they but they charge a reasonable price. And everybody fishes. So almost every family has a boat, and they'll take you around to see the bears. I mean, and I obviously see yeah. stunning, stunning nature, Beautiful. aside from even seeing your first animal. You will eat incredible food because it's all fresh caught, you know, from pristine waters and yeah. fucking delicious desserts made from salmon berries and and, uh, yeah. and that stuff. And you will see massive, massive Alaskan bears. I mean, I've never seen as many whales in my life as no. you see just boating around there. It's just they're they're everywhere. Like they become like cockroaches. You're like, Jesus, these fucking humpbacks are in our way. Well, particularly in a small boat and yeah. where the water gets shallow in some of the bays. They yeah. come in on their side and bubble net up to uh, catch the herring and other things, and and the uh, various crustaceans that are swimming around little sh- little shrimp and stuff. And I we've had up to thirteen, fourteen around the boats. Yeah, it's yeah. and you'll you'll see more eagles, more bald eagles in half an hour than you've ever seen in your entire life. I oh, mean, yeah. too, too many eagles. It's just and of course <laughs> the tiny the tiny squirrels, giant ravens. I said, if you're lucky, you'll see the Sitka black-tailed deer, which is a—it's the opposite of the bears. The bears got bigger and bigger, so it's island gigantism, and these have become tinier and tinier. So you have island dwarfism, and you have uh, you know these tiny little squirrels with a fuller attitude. Like if you sleep beneath a squirrel tree, and you can tell because the little pieces of pine cone there, they will come down and cuss you out, like to your yeah. face, until you Wake leave. You up. Wake and your these ass little, up. And these Sitka black-tailed deer are also surprisingly small. But the bears are, are so big that you never get moose there. Occasionally, a moose swims across from a cake on the mainland to the south. It's a big swim across the channel. They get there, and within an hour, they're inside a bear's belly. Yeah. So, you know, it's yeah. a crazy. But, yeah, you can go there. Well, it's relatively easy. And the Eagle's Wing Inn is affordable. It's comfortable, but not too comfortable. You can stay in a fishing lodge there and spend uh, two grand a night. You'll spend less than half that staying uh, at Eagle's Wing for a week. Hey, Brosters, thank you for being loyal subscribers. We appreciate everything that you do. And now we have a membership offer for you. I think you can get ad-free episodes, I heard. That's pretty big. Ad-free is big, but you can also get your comments looked at so we don't have to sift through the millions. How do you do that? Is there some sort of badge system? There's a badge system, a loyalty badge. (laughs) Boom. Shows up next to your name in the comments. Boom. 
We read the comment. All this badge talks. I'm going to the badge store. He's going to get a badger. He's going to buy one. Didn't earn it. He's going to buy one. He did a fake leave. (laughs) I assumed Kyle would know to cut on the motion. (laughs) All right, let's cut now. That's that's our ad. Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing experience. Everyone should should try and do it if you have the time and and, and a little bit of extra cash for travel. But I want to surprise you, Bradley. Okay, because I, I like surprises because birth- it's your birthday. You know what I mean? It's it's not, but let's pretend that okay. it is. Like I need to be older. So I've invited a guest to pop on Brilliant. for five five or ten minutes here, and I'll give you a little backstory. So Justin, oh. Is a good oh, friend no. of mine. <laughs> Pop him on, Kyle. Pop him on. Pop Justin Christensen on. There he is. Hey. The, the Scandinavian hunk. It's either so hot in his room that we're seeing heat lines or his camera has a, a layer of Vaseline <laughs> over the top. His, his camera is, is it better. It's um, hitting. It's horrendous. It looks better to me because you look kind of like a, it's like a Sally Fields close up. You know, it's. That's fine. So, <laughs> so Justin's a good friend of mine. And I have told the story on the Wild Times podcast at least once um, of Justin's best moment on this expedition in Kutsnawo. Which one's this one? <laughs> there's, there's a lot of pretty good Kyle, moments. Kyle, can you pull up a picture? Uh, oh! Yes. <laughs> Chaik Bay. Quick sands of Chaik Bay. So <laughs> Justin, uh, I wanted to have someone on because I think we all know that joke of like things I thought were gonna be a bigger deal when I was a kid, and one of them was quicksand. Yeah. Justin is the only experience I've ever had seeing someone to where I actually got scared, mm. um, stuck in quicksand, and the only person I know who's been legitimately uh clavicle deep yeah. in quicksand <laughs> that was that was glorious yeah. that, can i just give you the lead up to that day yeah so we had obviously some weather issues and then there's this one particular area called chaik bay and it's a very shallow inlet into a floodplain and it's one of the most i mean this is kutsnamu has more bears per square mile than anywhere in the world so we're talking about just over uh, 2,000 square miles of island, and there's about 2,500 bears. So you see a bear every time you turn around, basically. And Chaik Bay is a major concentration point before hibernation. They're eating all of the deer and the berries and everything. And we were saving this for good weather to get the boats down because it was crazy weather. And we got down there and for low tide. So we're filming. And you remember this? Alvin was pissed at me. And if you watch this yeah. documentary, you'll see a point where I, for some reason, just carrying two packs because he's just like, fuck this. And so I'm carrying all this. So we're doing this and he doesn't <laughs> want to carry a pack. And and he and Johnny Inches and they're both, yeah. you know, uh, we're talking, you know, slimmed hip little nymph like men. We're talking Legolas, the fucking elf from Lord of the Rings. And so they just one. bounce yeah. across it like it's nothing. And and Justin and I are similar size, big units, six and a half feet tall, 300 pounds, give or take. And so I go and just boom, start going down. Now I'm not a newbie, so I just take off the pack, align the pack, I wriggle my way out, but it was it was shitty. I hear a noise behind me that I, in all my experience, has never been uttered by any land animal. And I turn <laughs> around and I see what you just saw in that photo. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not water. That is quicksand and water and mud. Take it away. This is where it starts. Yeah. So tell mm-hmm. us, Justin, what what happened here? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was focused on we we're heading through this marsh area and we we're um we're walking through like chest high, we're getting ready to walk through chest high grass. Which was terrifying. It's terrifying. It's the scariest, in my opinion, one of the most dangerous situations I've ever been in in my life. Right. Can I just can I just jump in and say one thing? Pat gave me an earpiece for the first time, so I could hear what they're doing, and I actually regret putting it in my ear because I could hear him saying, "It's like okay, they're going to probably stir up a bear out of this grass." Everyone just back off a little bit, and I'm just like, "Oh man." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, but it Putting is the pressure on these things yeah. lie down the grass is four feet and as you know uh you know a bear from hump to feet double is the height of the bear but when they're lying down you might have a four foot to the hump bear which means you know as an eight foot ten foot bear in the grass and you don't even see it 
But yeah, yeah. it was, it was, it's very spooky. Please continue. Yeah. And we, when we boated in there, we saw like a 500 pound bear just running around or along the edge of the shoreline. That's right. Three year old bear. Yeah. And then we looked in and there was a sow with two cubs running along the riverbed, maybe 200 yards in. Mm-hmm. So I was like, what the, Jesus. So I so wasn't you're, paying attention. So your head's on a swivel. You're looking for bear. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking for bears. And prints and prints everywhere in the mud. Huge yeah. prints. Huge yeah. prints. And then I saw the path that BTG put took. Yeah. So I just followed in his path. Like that should be the path that you follow. So you didn't see me wriggle out like I no, was we were, a parasite were, coming out of some giant creature's ass. No, you I were didn't like two hundred yards ahead of us. Uh, you, you, we were giving you a bunch of space. I think mostly because you and Elvin were fighting. <laughs> and, well, yeah. and for the record alvin and i are literally uh brothers and we love each other but yeah that was a it was just one of those days you know people were tired and pissed off but i yeah. i thought you saw me go down get my kid off crawl out of it you didn't see any of that we didn't no, see any, any of, of that okay that makes it less hilarious but i'm gonna say pretend <laughs> that you did because i just thought what are you why are you following me into this into this hell spawn hole yeah, so then you went down and created a nice... Yeah, uh, I softened it up. You softened it up for me so that when I went in there, I just went... <laughs> and, and so you're you're in, and at first I'm like, you know, as the, the head producer on site, number one, I will be named in the wrongful death long, lawsuit along with the production company and the network. You know But it. two, it's sort of my job to make sure we don't have to you know, medevac anyone out. And so I'm looking at it. I'm like, okay, this seems fine. Cause you're like probably knee deep at first. And then, so what happens? And then when do you realize in your mind that this is not actually as hilarious as we thought it was at first? Well, like if you've ever had your, your boots or foot stuck in the mud and then you just kind of try to pull it out and you can feel it sucking off your foot. So you kind of go back down. So I just right. kept going. I kept trying to pull it back out and realizing I was just going to lose my mm. my boots. And right. then every time I would try to pull up, I would just keep sinking down further and further. And I just finally gave up and I was like, I'm fucked. <laughs> he did. <laughs> and he said, and then he, he was so red in the face because you exerted a lot of energy because yeah. you, you know, I'd say in a matter of a minute, you went from knee deep to waist deep. And then you're now you can't even move your lower body and you're mm-hmm. red in the face, yeah. exhausted, and I think a little embarrassed. And you literally turned to us and you said, just go, just just leave me here. <laughs> go on without me. I just I just remember looking back and I started coming back because I at first I thought it was just funny. And and right. and I still think it's funny. But yeah. there was a time there when I could see you were genuinely upset. And I'm like, you know, this has got to stop. Because I could see you working your feet. You were stairmastering your way deeper and deeper into the mud. And I was just like, and again, I thought you saw me get out. <laughs> so not, I, I just like, what are you doing? And the best thing you could have done then is either just put your pack on the ground like I did and lay forward on it. Or just lie back like you're floating in the pool, take the weight off your feet. And I can see you doing the exact opposite of that. And it was amazing how, while it was a slow process, there was something chilling in how absolute the mud and the quicksand was determined to swallow you up. Like it was happening. It was happening, happening. Mm -hmm. And this is like, you see these pictures, not so much of people, but you see pictures of elephants dead in a in a muddy waterhole and stuff like that and this is how it happens i'm not saying right. you and i are elephants but we're, we're as close as human beings can get to <laughs> mm-hmm. so i was just like and i can see you were just having a bad time and i remember when even when you got out and i think you should explain how you got out because i remember you were shaken after you got out i i mean <laughs> I, I, somebody fine i was like go on without me and patrick did refuse to leave me <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he cared he just didn't yeah. want to get sued. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Let's then just... somebody came and handed me, I don't know, was it a stick or a... It was a rope. A we rope? Got, we had some rope, yeah, luckily, and then just pulled you out. Yeah, and, and... I mean, 
I, I did it the exact opposite wrong way because I'm my lack of quicksand experience in the past. <laughs> I know. That's a, I know. That's a, that's a glaring hole in your resume considering that line of business. But it's one of those things, like a lot of experiences in, in these kind of remote adventures, you just don't know till you do it. And it's the right. feeling. The feeling is is new. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. What would okay? So literally, you step in. Oh shit! I'm sinking in quicksand. Yeah. And it, so, Bradley, what is the cr exact correct protocol? So pack off. Okay. So the first thing is the mindset is you're going to get muddy. Just it, just accept that. Don't do not be precious. Good point. Do not yeah. be precious. I don't care how much you spent on your your Columbia bloody Gore-Tex, you know, uh, butterfly silk, you know, what you're going to get muddy. Yeah. So just accept that in the direction of now, which you need to fall in the direction of safety. So if you're through the worst of it, you go forward. If you, if you're, if the worst of it is ahead of you, you just lie backwards like you would in a pool, like you're floating in a pool or the, or the, or the ocean. Right now, if you've got a pack and we all did use that, you just drop it off behind you or put it in front of you like I did. You lie on that like you're on thin ice and just wait. Don't fight the mud. And gradually, you'll get the chance to pull your feet up and so forth. You're going to be muddy as hell. You're going to look like you just got cuffed up, uh, coughed up by a lungfish. But you're going to be free. And then yeah. you make your way uh, out of it as quickly as you can. Um, uh, How do you do that? You kind of like slither? You slither if you have to, but you actually find that if you maintain a certain velocity, you don't sink. Okay. So if you start moving with purpose, don't take steady steps. And, and here's the thing. You may go down more than once. So you just repeat. You don't leave your shit there. You drag it along behind you. You toss it ahead, and you just use that. And it's not about buoyancy in so much as it's about surface area. And so having that little bit of gap and giving you a bit more surface area, spread your weight out. Look, we're big guys and we're plantigrade, okay? We stand vertically. All our weight is coming down through our feet. So you're basically pile driving yourself into the earth feet first. You've got to spread that out and longitudinally lie flat like a snake uh, or a big lizard. It doesn't matter, whichever animal you identify with in the situation. And you yeah. just go for it. But the big thing is you're going to get money. There's no shortcut. Lie down, take the weight off your feet crawl backwards, kind of swim, crawl backwards or swim, crawl forwards and keep moving. Don't stop till you're in an area where there's plenty of vegetation growing through because the root mass will effectively prevent you from sinking further. Go ahead and pull up that first picture one more time. Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> so you can see here <laughs> that the subject is still vertical even though this has become critical. Once your nuts are in the mud, it's no longer a joke. Um, yeah. Or it shouldn't be. We should have stopped laughing at this point. But I remember, this is the big thing that, that makes this less amusing, is that I remember after you got out, you were just like shaking a little bit. I remember just like, that was a horrible experience for him. And, and I liked you from day one. I was so glad when you walked in. Patrick walked in, and you know, movie star producer, used to yeah. be, he was in a Bacardi ad as a sexy guy. And, advice, he, bro. And, uh, and he, he comes in and he looks at me and he's like, no, that's not going to work. And he was in love with Johnny Inches, who's a handsome man. His head should be on yeah. a coin. He's a very handsome man. I remember you saying to him, <laughs> you saying, you, Johnny Inches, you look like someone who could be a Discovery Channel superstar. Okay. And then you look at me and you go, stop trying to be funny. And yep. that's pretty much what happened. <laughs> it is what happened. And I got to tell you, the and I, then I saw Justin, another big man. I went, okay, we're going to be all right. We're going to yeah. be all right. And so, uh, but when, when you are significantly larger or smaller than someone else, the world is different to you and there are different hazards, you know? And, <laughs> True. and so, you know, you and I are not going to get plucked off by an Eagle, but uh, we are going to have trouble getting through, thorny devil bushes and uh sorry devil's club bushes and uh and getting across the mud you know that was one of the old time that's such a treat to have that memory to see you back to talk about it it's like a 2020 yeah. episode you know yeah, his, exactly. his love has tried to drown him in the mud it's it's literally insane i had the best time on that trip but like all out of all the dangerous stuff that i've done that's it that seemed like the least dangerous right there walking across mm. a marsh area 
and that's probably the closest I've came to dying. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty crazy because it it is, you know, and I've I mentioned this before, but um, you know, it was a title flat, right? And so when we yeah. spent about eight hours filming, and then when we went back to the boats, that area where Justin was was, you know, ten feet of water, twelve feet of water. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, could have, it's, it's died, yeah, you know, well, you think about it, if you just gone out. Uh, if you'd be to the, the best, one of the best berry patches in all of Kutsnawu is about half a mile, a quarter mile from where you were, right? Mm-hmm. And I have gone there and filled up as a sort of a snack because I don't carry food with me, obviously, when I'm tracking the bears. I get hungry. So I would just grab a whole bunch of salmon berries or thimble berries. And I could imagine someone fishing and going, you know what? I'm just going to grab some berries and making that mistake and just not coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Just a solo going hiker. out alone. Would have yeah. been fucked. Would've so been here's dead. well, here's yeah. the here's so here's the epic twist. You remember that day, and it was, it was just. I know it got ugly early, but later on, the sun came out for the first time in weeks, and bears everywhere. We could hear them in the in the forest. We could see them with prints. And I remember showing you this big pile of scat about the size of a tennis court. And contrary to most academic literature, there is some social middens of bear shit. And it's very interesting. I'd love to go back there and test all of it and see how many bears are crapping there every season. But this is a major choke point for bears fattening up before they go and dig a den in the mountains on Bear Pass Mountain. And I remember uh, telling you, I said, look, uh, our permit, well, you already knew this, Luca. our permit ends tomorrow for filming here because sadly they've sold a hunting permit and the guy's allowed to take one older bear, but you know he's going to get try to get a big trophy bear, and so we have to be out. But I, the filming was so good, and we were getting so many crazy shots, uh, so many bear interactions, so many amazing, terrifying, glorious moments. And I said, we've got to be in the boat, which is by then just over a mile away. We've got to be back in the boats before dark. And there was some pushback. People say, no, we got to keep filming. It's amazing. I said, you don't understand. When it gets dark, I remember the mother and the cubs were running away. They're not running away because of us. The really big bears are coming. The big right. males will come down and take this place over. And we don't have the equipment or the resources, particularly as the water comes in, to get out of here in time in one piece. And there was a bit of to and fro. And finally, everyone agreed. And we got out. And we just got back to the boat as it was dark. And we just, I mean, having to go back to Angoon, which is tough going and the yeah. moonlight. The next day, the hunter going down there made the mistake that I was worried about. And some rich guy from the Midwest, and he kept saying, oh, I don't want to shoot that bear. It's too small. It's too this. It's too whatever. And uh, and the guy said, we got to go. We got to go. It's going to get dark, and the big bears come down. He goes, I want to see the big bears. He said, no, 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 we got to go. They drag him back. He was 50 yards from where we from where we moored our boats, and he was taken out by a massive bear. Yep. They both mm-hmm. had rifles. No one got a shot off. The bear wasn't hunting him. He was just pissed off that he was there. And he got ripped up and spat out and no one got a shot off. And that's yeah. how quick things can go wrong out there. And we were literally eating Domino's pizza flown in from the mainland while this, when this happened. That's, yeah, that's we right. Back at Eagle's Wing, li- yeah. living, living large. And so I was going to say, before we go, uh, Justin, you got to tell us, of all your expeditions, you've done some great shoots and, and some horrific ones with DeLuca. Is there ever been any other moments where you thought, Unless, because this is how I define extreme. Like I, I enjoy the X Games, but I don't call them extreme sports because ext- it's, it's if everything an ext- they call it extreme sport is they're assuming that unless something goes wrong, it's going to be fine. An extreme outing to me is where you are going to die unless everything goes right. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's with that in mind, and this quicksand incident and the bears and all the rest of it. Have there been any other incidents on your many expeditions where you just thought? We are five minutes away from being fucked five ways. Yeah, I mean, we were. I was in Zimbabwe, and and uh, we were tracking a black rhino, and um, they get very ornery, very ornery. And this one, we had been tracking it for two days, and this one, as we were following it, turned back around on us, and I think I was with he. He got to within eight feet of me and mm. and our cameraman mitch and he was deciding whether to either trample me or trample mitch and you know it would have been game over and there's no reasoning with rhinos no. it's so binary crush 
don't crush. It just is just this switch. And I think particularly black rhinos, I look at them like a freight train on ballerina's ankles. They're surprisingly mm-hmm. mobile and they kind of mm-hmm. lean into it and you see all this suspension in their ankles and these fleshy feet and they can turn on a dime. And I've, I've never had a close call with them in the wild, but I was actively involved in the captive breeding program that we have at uh, Western Plains Zoo where I'm the governor mm-hmm. and a lot of back of house stuff. They, they're pissed off all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's, that's because mad. Yeah. They're pissed off all the time and they're not social. They're, they're not living groups. They live in, uh, they, they live uh, solitary lives. Yeah. That would be terrifying. What about you, DeLuca? Um, where, where it, I was it like, can't be, it can't be from a nightclub. It has to be like a legitimate oh, story where you thought this is it. It's not you. I and mean, Depp at the- it's, I, uh, this is it moment. I was, Justin was actually with me for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was on an airplane. We were mm. taxiing on an Air Greenland flight out of Reykjavik, uh, mm. headed to fly over the ice sheet to get to where we were landing in Nook. And we were taxiing, and one of our cast members was like, hey, there's like a giant shard of metal sticking out of that mm. wheel. And this is an old military plane, so you've got three, right? You've got one on each wing, and you've got yeah. one in the front. So you kind of need all three. right? And so... um we're going and we're taxiing and I'm looking at it and I'm like, do I stop this? Do I run to the front of the plane? Cause these, these are open cockpits, right? Mm. Like there's no flight attendant or anything like that. It's you're flying on a military vehicle. And I'm like, do I run to the front of the plane or not? I decided to, to just was like, yeah, I'm going to run to the front of the plane. This, there's a fucking giant metal shard sticking out of this uh, tire. And so I, uh, ran up the pilot understood what I was saying, stopped the plane on the runway. Um, got out, walked around and we're all looking at him out the window and he just yanks this metal shard out of the, the, uh, tire. It's just like a big piece of like airplane metal. What just aluminum or titanium, whatever, just stuck in the tire. He's stuck in the tire. He comes, he gets back on the plane and he's holding it. And he's like, I'm going to do a fake, uh, accent here, but he's like, uh, so the tire is completely flat. Um, he said, the good news is we would have been able to take off. Um, he's like, we, uh, unfortunately we would, the bad news is we wouldn't have been able to land, <laughs> um, which is my favorite part. That's glorious. Um, and so then we basically spent 20 hours in the airport because the only tire that it could take was in Greenland. Mm. So they had to fly it over to Iceland to replace the tire. And then so we, how, uh, took how off. long did that take? We were sitting in that fucking airport for probably, uh, realistically, like 14 or 16 hours. Jesus. It's a five-hour flight. Yeah. What to do in the hangar? Fun times? Drink beer. Yeah. Drink <laughs> beer. I yeah. don't... I mean, I've had countless moments where I thought things were going to go wrong with animals, you know, whether it was tigers in Ranthambore and deer or other things. I thought, oh, it's really great right now, but this could get pear-shaped real quick. Yeah. But, yeah, one of the strange moments I had was also in a in a, in a a plane... Uh, well, I was an officer in the Paris. We had the paratroopers. We had a a very rare a parachute battalion battle group drop. So everybody's going, including the support units in engineering, transport, artillery, like all and mountain assault teams. Everybody's in it, and I was super pumped. And then I got assigned to do a specialist heavy weapons course at the infantry school that was starting the next day, and so I wasn't allowed to join the exercise, and so I got. I, I wrote a, a request for special exemption to arrive to the training course uh, 12 hours late. And so I could do this once in a career drop. Okay. And they said no. And so I just went, fuck it, I'm going to do it. So I made an arrangement with one of my soldiers who had a broken leg, because in the special units, everyone's got broken legs everywhere. And I got <laughs> him to drive my Jeep down to a to a base not far from where the drop was. And I just, you know, you turn up in uniform like you belong there. And who's going to argue with you? You're a platoon commander. Go do it. So uh, we did the drop. And you can imagine the area that you need to drop almost a thousand men. It's it's a significant, it's 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 a couple of miles. And of course, it's it's a live drop. It's meant to be like a combat condition. So it's not onto a smooth runway or a or a football field. It's it's over a series of farmland. There's some trees and there's rivers and all the rest of it. Anyway, this is stuff become the legend. You can look it up online if you want. It's it's DZ Brundy, B-R-U-N-D-E-E. So I snuck, I snuck in, I get put into my stick, 
and I always jump first. The officers usually jump first, the front of their sticks. And, um, and so first platoon alpha company. So we're first out. And I, I get out of the plane and everything just feels wrong. And mm-hmm. not only is my parachute not opening, it's still this long, skinny snake of a thing, and it's whipping back and forth. And doing th- and, and and when you're falling, as you guys know, you both parachuted, you go, you know, it's 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, can it be okay? And I get to 4,000, and it's just this sausage of silk. Oh, boy. So I'm oh, hand- boy. And remember, this is a tactical jump from just 1,000 feet. So I've got one and a half seconds to decide, do I pull the reserve or, or do I eat it? You know, and I got my hand on the reserve. <laughs> <laughs> and and it and finally it kind of farts to life and, and there it is but it keeps collapsing and the chute just keeps collapsing each side oh my god and spills air so you're falling faster and i start to pendulum oh and boy. and so I'm, remember i'm you know big guy i'm carrying my body weight in combat gear below my legs so we're just massive swinging thing and i'm coming down and i'm just screaming across the sky and what's happened is They've given the all clear to do the jump with the safety officers who are on the ground. But in fact, at a thousand feet, just before we reach the target, we hit a 50 knot uh, shear wind. So 50 miles or almost 60 miles an hour hitting us from the side, which is well over the safety limits, and then driving us into the ground. That's what a shear wind does. It just turn, it starts at, at altitude and then just spears into the earth. And so I'm just screaming down and I'm just thinking, okay, I'm going to break my legs. I'm going to break my legs. And they're swinging, swinging. And I got really lucky in that as I landed, I was at the top of the pendulum. So it knocked the wind out of me. And uh, I, I, uh, I just kind of damaged the cartilage in my ribs. I mean, I got hit really hard, but it didn't, I didn't break anything. And then the wind hits my parachute and just drags me like a rag doll <laughs> behind a race car, you know? And I'm just yeah. frantically trying to take the covers off my cape wells and pop the chute. Um, beat up to shit. You know, I yeah. look like I've been through a blender. Anyway, I get up and obviously I feel bad. You know, I, I'm feeling pretty sick and uh, kind of, you know, when you hit really hard and you get that, and even before you hit, there's that sickening moment of of just your whole guts convulsing, knowing it's all about to go down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have that feeling, plus I'm genuinely winded. My ribs are killing me. I get up, I get my gear, I go through my drills, I pack away my parachute. I'm saying various things about the army. And... And I, uh, I look around and I see these day glow panels. So we inside our, inside our bush hats uh, and our helmets, if, depending on what the operation is, we have a little day glow marker that you use to call for help without making a fuss for the helicopters. You put it in the sky. But when someone's injured on a drop zone, you show it to the next guy and then he shows it and we know. And they're everywhere. It's like Christmas lights of day glow panels. And I got pissed. And I said to these guys, I said, hey, you know the, you know the protocol. Only the man with the injury shows the day glow panel. No one else does. You just indicate where he is. And they okay. go, again, boss, we're all, we're all fucked. We're all fucked. Really? Oh, my and God. And almost half the battalion was, was smashed. But we, we were only the first third. But almost okay. half of us, half of us were smashed. Anybody and, die? Wow, no one died, but two guys, one guy almost died. Uh, a good mate of mine, Peter Dolly Parton. Dolly, we called him. Little tough guy. And he, as I recall... He got slammed into a giant dead tree, and the broken branch went through his pelvis. So he was kind of crucified on the tree. Um, And then our company commander had landed with his feet and knees not together. If you you watched episode one of Semi-Indestructible, you'll remember the importance of landing at high speed of keeping your feet and knees together. And he... Both his legs were spiral fractures and his feet were facing the wrong way. Okay. Um, I remember he holding his hand while the chopper came oh in. My just like God. It just that sickening. Uh, mm. He looked kind of green. He was a man of color and he still looked kind of green. The pain must have been unbelievable. But the biggest fear at that point, we didn't realize that only our sortie had jumped. The others had been waved off. After they saw us cream in, they waved <laughs> the other guys off. So we didn't know they hadn't landed, the rest of the combat forces. So we were terrified. We thought we had a bunch of guys unconscious in creeks and stuff, face down drowning. Oh. And it's, it's remember, we jump at dawn and dusk. We don't do this. This is not through shopping hours. So we're just trying to frantically find these bodies, and we, we didn't know. And then we found out at about, I don't know, six, eight hours later that uh, the other guys hadn't dropped. But that was that was one of those moments where I just thought, you know, 
this is my number. Um, yeah. But it wasn't. And so I got to live to see Christensen make that exactly noise in the mud. <laughs> and so it's all worth it. It is yeah. all worth it. Little did you I'm know alive. in that moment. Um, well, Justin, thank you, man. Thank Appreciate you. you coming on. Thank Legend you guys. Anytime. Been too long. Been too long, mate. It's yeah, been too long. Well, I think that'll do us. That'll do us for episode two of Semi Indestructible. Justin, mate, thank you so much for coming. DeLuca, it's your fault. I'm involved in all of this. Thank you so much, yeah. mate. Yeah, of course. Hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully people like it. It's another I, hour of content about stuff that people like and it's not too sciencey and it's got a little bit of humor in it. So uh, I think it's I think it's going to be uh, I think people are going to really enjoy it. And, you know, think about it, man. When people are driving to and from work, like driving mm. to work is the worst, right? Like you're is sitting it, in traffic. Is, is, it, is it the actual worst after the stories we just heard? No, but it sucks. You're, you know, you're going in. <laughs> it's, maybe tedious. You your boss. It's, it's tedious. It's tedious. Give, give, give one person an hour, you know, a drive through work. That's a, it's a good thing. Yeah. You, you know what? I didn't realize I was going to good, doing a good deed. And obviously I want people to like it, but if you don't like it and you want to hate, listen, that's fine too. I, exactly. Uh, Work for Howard Stern. Well, everyone, that is episode two of Semi-Indestructible, as I said, presented proudly in association with the Wild Times podcast, sponsored by Adventure Beast, the animated wildlife comedy series now streamed on Netflix worldwide. Uh, next week, uh, we have a great show. We're going to talk about the time I almost went to space with the Russian space program. Ooh. Remember, life is short, death is forever. Get amongst it. That's, I was winking at you. That's a good wink. Uh, unauthorized wink, but I liked it. No, oh, you can cut it out if you want. I have no control over that. Kyle, <laughs> Kyle is the arbiter of winks. <laughs> <laughs>